listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Hey, take your Bibles and turn to Romans 8 this morning. We are into the really good part of Romans. As Pastor Ken said just the other day, man, the first several chapters, we, we hear about how bad we are. And we hear about how we are slaves to the flesh, slaves to the law. And you get to Romans chapter 8 and you start seeing, man, that we don't have to stay that way. God has a plan for us. And this morning we're in Romans 8, 12 through 17. And I want to read these verses. And then we're going to be kind of in Galatians and Ephesians uh, talking about adoption this morning. Um, so Romans 12, 8, verse 12 says this. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body... You will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if the children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and God, I'm so thankful for adoption. God, I'm thankful to be justified. God, I'm thankful to to stand here this morning, as Alex has said, and as you look at me, you see your son, Jesus. I'm so thankful that he was willing to come and pay the price Lord, not just for me, but for everybody in this room and everybody that is listening on live stream, the people that are driving up and down the road, God, people all over the world. Lord, you came and you bled and you died, Lord, so that we could be called your children. And so, Father, this morning I pray that, God, as we just look at these few verses, that, Father, you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, the people in here that are saved, God, the people in here who have, who have been brought into the family of God, that we, Lord, will understand who we are as your children. And Father, for those in here this morning and are listening that may not be saved, God, who may not have come to a place to repent and turn from their sin and accept you by faith, God, I pray this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak to their heart. And today, Father, be the day of salvation for them. And God, they can walk in out of here as your children. Father, we want to give you all the praise for your word, give you all the praise for the Holy Spirit. God, thank you for inclining your ears to us this morning. And Father, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So salvation is, is a beautiful thing. I mean, we, we would all agree, and it's, this is something, though, I want us to think through. It's not just God sitting behind a bench and forgiving us of our sin and then us step away and, and, and walk away and leave. 
That's a great thing. It's a great thing that God would send Jesus to come and bleed and die and pay for the penalty of all of our sin. And he could have just left us there. But it's as if God takes, stands up, walks from behind the judge's bench and he steps up and he takes off your chains and he takes off those filthy rags. And he says, hey, not only do I want to forgive you, I want you to come home with me as my son and my daughter. And so salvation is so much bigger than just being forgiven of our sins and having our name written into the Lamb's Book of Life and one day dying and going to heaven. Salvation is being adopted into the family of God. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, answers the question, what is a Christian? And I want you to listen to this. His answer is, the question could be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, of having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. How much do you make of God being your father? Is that what drives you every day? Is that what motivates you every day? Is that is that what gets you going is the fact that, hey, I have a great earthly father, but I have a heavenly father that is in heaven being worshipped as we are here today, being worshipped by millions upon millions of angels and they're crying, holy, holy, holy. And he looks down at me and says, that's my son. He says that about you and I want us as believers to understand Christianity well. As a church to understand this beautiful picture of adoption. I want you to make much about being a child of God, of having God as your father. That it controls your worship, it controls your prayers, it controls your walk, it controls how you handle your life on a day-to-day basis, your friendships, your marriage, your family, your entire outlook on life. So Paul here in Romans says the idea, says the truth really of adoption. He says in 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. There's some things I want us to look at about adoption today. It kind of ties into what adoption looks like in in the world that we live in and how it it runs parallel with, with God adopting us into his family. And the first thing is God changes our status. In Galatians uh, 4, 4 through 8, I want you to listen to these words. It says this, but when the fullness of time had come, or when the right time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And that should get us all excited, the fact that I'm no longer a slave to the law. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to the flesh. But I can proclaim and declare today that I belong to Jesus Christ. And today I am his child. And he says this, and I may get excited today. 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And in margin of my Bible, I have that written. I need this reminder. I don't know about you, but I need to be reminded that I am a child of God, that I have been adopted into his family. God changed my status. Adoption requires someone who comes at the right time. Now, you would think that adoption would be easy or should be easy. There is a child who needs to be adopted. There is a family who desires a child to be part of their family. And you would think they could come together, that it wouldn't cost a lot, that the paperwork would be fairly simple, and you could just walk in and take them home with you. That's not the case. Adoption is a very strenuous thing and it has to be at the right time and there's so many things that have to come together. And the first thing that has to come together is someone has to come at the right time. And when you think about adoption in the Bible, when you think about the idea of someone coming at the right time, I want you to listen to the couple of things here uh, about Jesus coming at the right time. It was the right time theologically. Hey, Christmas didn't just happen. Okay, God didn't wake up one day in heaven and go, oh, by the way, December the 25th, we need to make sure that we celebrate my son's birth. It's not the way it happened. Christmas is something that we celebrate, but way before the earth was ever even created, God has set forth his son to be a lame slain, a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And so Christmas didn't just happen. Everything in the Old Testament led up to this moment. All the prophecies were pointing to this day. We call it progressive revelation. There's an idea in just the typologies through Scripture. And just think about a few of these. Here's the thread. Genesis 2 and 3. Two naked vegetarians. In a garden. The adversary comes in. They're living life. God's then laid out the rules and they're living life. And the adversary comes in and he, pre- he, he, he presents them this, this idea of, of surely you won't die. And God doesn't want you to eat that because if you eat of that fruit, then what's going to happen is you're going to know what God knows. And God doesn't want you to know what he knows. So they fell into the temptation, sin. God comes on the scene. They're hiding, right? Y'all with me? And he tells the, uh, the uh, enemy, tells the devil, hey, enmity's coming between you in the seed of the woman you're going to bruise his heel brother but I got news for you he's going to crush your head and the Bible says that God then covered them he sacrificed an animal and he covered them that's the first place we see a blood sacrifice in the Bible and then it goes on, 4,000 years before Christ came, Cain and Abel, God wanted a sacrifice, and Cain and Abel uh, sacrificed. And you know the story, Cain killed Abel, because Abel's sacrifice was, was better, the Bible says. Why? Because it requires blood. Then you have 2,050 years before Christ came, on a mountain called Moriah, 
that Abraham took Isaac and he was going to he was going to sacrifice him but there was a ram caught in a thicket and he sacrificed the ram instead of his own son you you can begin to see the picture unfold 1446 years before Christ came there was a people called the Israelites in Egypt and Jesus came I mean God came and he told them he said hey you need to put blood over the doorpost and he says anyone that is inside that door the death angel will pass over if they're outside the door they will die and I want you to know something I've always thought it amazing that he tells them to put it over the top and the two side posts which is what it's a cross so in order for you to be saved and to have the assurance of salvation you got to go through the blood by the cross and so if they were in there that means they were saved it was blood it had to be a bloody thing that night you got them throwing a bunch of blood on doorpost it isn't quite the way we would fix ourselves but that's what he did 630 years before Christ came though Jeremiah said this he said there's a new covenant he says, and this is God, I will forgive their sins and remember them no more. And then there was 400 years of silence. And Jesus showed up. Yes. Christmas didn't just happen. It was the right time theologically. It's the right time religiously. There was a spiritual hunger. Not just among the Jewish people, but against the whole world at the time. Because under Roman paganism and idolatry, people could not be fulfilled and they could not worship because they were created to worship the one true and living God. So at the time, religiously, there was a great stirring and there was a great need and there was a great desire. So religiously, it was the right time. Culturally, it was the right time. Why? Because the Greek language has spread and it was the common language throughout the known world at the time which would allow the gospel to be spread easier in the first century. Politically, it was the right time. Rome had subdued all kinds of nations and in the process they had built intricate road systems so travel became easier. So Jesus came. Adoption requires someone coming at the right time. But it also requires someone who possesses the right qualifications. In the process, a family has to go through screenings. They have to go through fingerprint testing, background studies, blood tests, home studies. There are so many qualifications to be met. And Scripture teaches very clear that in order for us to be adopted into the family of God, there must be someone who has all the right qualifications. And His name is Jesus. There was one. Jesus not only came at the right time, He's the only one that had the right qualifications. Jesus being fully God, fully divine. But He was also fully man. He was born of a woman. He had a physical body. I love what Martin Luther says about this. He says, Christianity doesn't begin at the top as all other religions do. It begins at the bottom. You must run directly to the manger and the mother's womb Embrace this infant and virgin's child in your arms. Look at him born, being nursed, growing up, going about in a human society, teaching, dying, rising again, ascending above all the heavens, and having authority over all things. And Jesus is fully righteous. He's the only one qualified. So you have the right time, you have the right qualifications, but it also takes the right resolve. They must have purpose and intention to adopt. Adoption doesn't happen accidentally. There has to be great intention. There has to be great motivation. 
And the Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, but when the right time had come, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, born under law to redeem us. He had the right resolve. God sent Jesus not only to buy us back as slaves, but to adopt us as his very own children. Russell Moore, former professor at Southern Seminary and now over the SBC's ERLC, is an adoptive parent. And I want you to hear what he says in a book he has written about adoption. He says this, Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting repeatedly to skin animals alive. She continues with a little family history. This boy's father, grandfather, great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather all had histories of violence ranging from spousal abuse to serial murder. Each of them ended their own lives. He said, think for a minute. Would you want this child? If you did adopt him, would you watch him nervously as he played with your other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the knife on the kitchen table? Would you even leave the room? And then he writes, he's you and he's me. And that's what the gospel is telling us. There is nothing that we have done to deserve God wanting to come to us and adopt us as his children. As a matter of fact, he has every reason to leave. But praise God that all it was doing is it draws him to us. It draws him to us. He, he desires us. He loves us. Even still, he determined to redeem us. I love it because instead of abandoning us, he says, I won't abandon you. I will send my son at the right time with all the right qualifications. He will stand on your behalf. He will have the right resolve. I will sacrifice whatever is needed, even my life, if that is a way to get you into my family. This is why we can stand here today with great assurance and claim we are children of God. And I believe that the beauty of adoption, I believe it makes sense to us that we are made righteous before God. But we can't stop there. We can't stop on just being righteous because God is so much more than a judge. He wants to be your father. So God not only changes our status, God changes our family. If you look in Ephesians 1, 4 through 8, and I'll read it. It says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us according in the beloved in Him. We have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us all in wisdom and in prudence. God changes our family. He planned to love us. How about that? He planned. He, he didn't just say, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm going to try this out. He planned to love you and me. God has showered us with his love. He decided in advance to adopt us into his family. The floodgates of the love of God himself has been poured out on us. 
and adoption. The family has decided to love the child. Let that sink in. Someone in most cases they have never met, and yet they have this great love for. And before God even planned the world, he planned to love you. He purposed to love you. He purposed to love me. One of the truths we see here is adoption never happens by accident. It has purpose and it has plan. He paid a price to love you. Adoption is costly. In the world today, we we know that it costs financially, it costs emotionally, and that is just the beginning. But if you talk to people who have adopted, they would tell you that the cost is worth it. At any cost, they would take those or bring those children into their family. And I'm glad today that God didn't spare any cost. God didn't spare any cost when it came to you and I being saved, when it came to you and I being brought into the family of God. He spared no cost. He gave the very best he had in his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I could be part of his family. Paid a price to love you. And he pursues you with this love. This is where it gets really good because it's a continual pouring of love. When you put your faith in Christ, and listen to me, Christian, I think this is where we get kind of messed up. When you put your faith and love in Christ, that's not where his love stops. That's where his love starts. That's where the journey starts. That's where the walk starts. That's where you need his love being poured out on you every day so that you can walk as one of his children. Don't think because you come and you pray and you're baptized and you join the church that it all stops there. That's when it just gets good. And he pursues us. I'm glad that he pursues us. I'm glad that he never stops pursuing. I'm glad that on those mornings that I wake up and I get busy and I tend to forget about him. He's like, hey, Matthew, that's God pursuing me. That's him pouring his love out on me every day. It doesn't stop when he brings you into the family. It starts. How many of us have children that the day we brought them home were like, you on your own, man. Figure it out. The bottles are in the refrigerator. You can warm them up in the microwave. I don't know how you're going to get there. Figure it out. We don't do that. It's because when we bring them home is when the love really starts. That's when it really begins to grow. That's when it really begins to develop so much so that we won't even admit that they're sinners. We're like, they're the best thing ever. And then grandkids are perfect. Y'all believe that lie too. (laughs) This is where it starts. He never stops loving us. Wrap that around your heart today. God never stops loving you. No matter where you go, no matter what you do, no matter where you've been, He never stops loving you. And I believe in here today, somebody needs to hear that. I believe in here today, there's some people that maybe feel like God doesn't love you. Maybe you feel like you've done too much. You've crossed the line. You can never be loved or used by God. And you base that on your human experiences. Let me tell you, we are loved by an infinite God. And today he never stops loving you. So he changes our status, he changes our family, but I'm glad he changes our future. 
If you read Romans 15, 8, 15 through 17, he says this. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God. And if heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. And if we indeed, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. God changes our future. I want you to know He promises us a full inheritance. Notice what it says. If you are His children, then you are heirs of God and you are joint heirs with Jesus. Did, did you catch that? We're talking about God, the owner of everything, right? The creator of everything, the sustainer of everything. He, he says that everything that is his, is your, it's like God saying, hey man, you're inheriting the whole estate. It's God saying it's everything that is mine is yours. Do we understand that? Do we appropriate that? Do we live that way? We are fully His and there is no chance that anyone or anything will ever be able to take that away. You can't even take it away. That's how much He loves you. That's how much He, he wants to give to you. So what do we do? We're waiting. We're waiting on the full inheritance. Man, we've got a taste of it, but we're waiting on the full inheritance. We're living in a world that is filled with sin and suffering. And the Bible never tells us that being a Christian, that being a follower of Jesus is going to be easy, that it's going to be soft living, that it's going to be comfortable living. So we wait. And it's familiar. I want you all to think about this. It's familiar to everybody in the room. Whether it's emotional suffering, pain, hurt, depression, anxiety, worry, fear, things that so many of us wrestle with, or maybe it's physical suffering like disease, illness, sickness, cancer. It's touched all of us, tumors with things that can't be explained by doctors, or maybe it's relational suffering, divorce, separation, death. This picture of suffering, though, is all through Scripture, and in the middle of the suffering, we wait. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for one day when we have new bodies and we get our full rights as the children of God. That we inherit it all. So what's he do? In the meantime, he's preparing for us an eternal home. The reality is, and I believe this should be this, the word for today should be no more. All the lists I just read out to you, you can put no more before that. No more physical suffering, no more cancer, no more tumors, no more relational suffering, no more death, no more divorce, no more separation, no more emotional suffering, no more depression, no more anxiety, no more worry, no more fear. It's all going to be taken away because if you're a child of God, one day you will inherit the kingdom of God. It will be yours. You will be in his presence and all of those things that we waiting with will be gone. So the Father stands. And I believe He would say this to all of us today.
By the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave, you are no longer an orphan. By the authority of blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave, you are no longer an outcast living without a family. By the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave, you are no longer abandoned as a stranger, separated from me for all of eternity. You are no longer a stranger to me. You are a child. By the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the grave, I have forgiven you and I have adopted you. What an incredible picture of a God who longs across all of the lives in this room. And don't sit in the room and say, oh, it's not for me. It's for you. I just want to tell you today, don't look around and go, man, I can never have this. It is for you. He just read in Romans 5 earlier that it doesn't matter if you were a sinner. It doesn't matter if you're an enemy. It doesn't matter if you're ungodly. God demonstrated his love for you, the whosoever's in the world, that while you were even those things, Christ came and died for you, not just to forgive you of your sins, but to bring you and adopt you into the family of God. And there's no family I'd rather be a part of than the family of God. God. So he today is just saying, here I am, I come to die. It's for you today. You don't have to walk out of here an orphan. You can belong to the greatest family in all of eternity, and it's the family of God. So you are no longer an orphan, no longer an outcast, no longer a stranger. Why? Because there's no such thing in the family of God. There's no favorites in the family of God. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, healthy, unhealthy. It doesn't matter if you sin or whatever. You say, well, this person's done this and this person. It doesn't matter in the family of God. We're all equal. We're all joint heirs. We're all forgiven. We're all going to live in his mansion. We're all going to be around his throne in heaven. And that's what I love is it doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you think about you, what others think about about you God says you're my child so we can live that way and today I want you to think about this in closing two things so where do we go from here we've been adopted into the family of God we're children of God we can say amen we can get excited but but that carries with it some responsibility One of the things is, is as as children of God, we need to celebrate the fact that we belong to the family of God. We need to memorize Ephesians 1. I'm going to help you. I am blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. I am chosen. I am predestined. I am adopted. I am beloved. I am redeemed. I have an inheritance. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I have hope. I have power. I was dead. Now I live. I was a child of the world. Now I'm a child of His kingdom. I am loved by God. I am risen with Christ. I am saved by grace. I am His masterpiece. I am no longer an alien. I'm no longer far off. I'm no longer separated. I'm a new man. I'm reconciled to God. I have peace with God. I have access to God because I am a child of God. It is time that God's people celebrate being his children. And then there's the second thing. 
I don't know how many of you, and this is kind of a really pitiful illustration, but it's the best I got. How many of y'all ever seen the movie Like Mike? Come on. I see one, two, three. This side. All right. I ain't going to bore you. Like Mike is about a kid named Calvin Cambridge, who isn't, uh, I think that's his name. We'll say it is. You don't know because none of y'all have seen it. <laughs> I can say whoever I want. <laughs> it's about a kid who is in an orphan, and he's, he's kind of, you know, uncoordinated, getting bullied. He finds a pair of tennis shoes across the light wire, and they were happen to be a pair of Michael Jordan's old shoes, hence the name like Mike. He puts on the shoes. He gets this superpower, becomes this great basketball player. Long story short, they found out it was his shoes. He blew them out, lost his powers. Sad. <laughs> this really has nothing to do with heaven, but just listen to me. <laughs> Sweaty in the service, too. So one of the professional basketball players adopting, and he brings him into his home, and he has all the rights that that professional basketball player has to the court, all the rights to his home, and he's sitting there in this lavish home, he's living this lavish life, but he had a friend named Murph that was still in the orphanage. And all he did was thought about Murph because he promised Murph, if I ever get adopted, whoever adopts me, I'm going to get them to come back and get you. Are y'all tracking with me now? <laughs> so they go and they adopt Murph out of the orphanage, so now they're one big family. And as God's children... Whenever he saves us, forgives us, and adopts us into his family, I would dare say that a lot of us forget about the people we know, the people who are out there still orphans, still slaves, still wrecked in this life. And we often get caught up in this idea of we're going to heaven, we're going to have a mansion, and it's going to be a glorious ride. And there are people that we know, people that are close to us, our friends, our family, who are dying without Jesus and going to hell and all God is waiting for is maybe for us to get on our knees and say, God, will you go get them and make them part of the family? We have a responsibility as God's children to bring others into the family of God. We have to lead them into a place where they can hear the word of God, share the gospel with them, whatever we have to do so that they can see that they need Jesus. And the reality is most of them want him. So today, all across this room, if you're in here and you're a child of a God, celebrate it. But don't stop there. Go get that orphan. Go get that outcast. Go get that friend that you used to run around with before you were saved. Don't be ashamed of them now. Go hug them and tell them that God wants to save them. We have a responsibility as children of God not to just enjoy the inheritance of God, but a responsibility to go out and bring others into the family of God. Amen. And so today, there's no greater thing, I believe, than being adopted into the family of God. Only thing that comes a second close is seeing somebody you love 
brought into the family of God. So with heads bowed and eyes closed all across this room today, if you're in here today and you are saved, you've been justified, you've been reconciled as we sing, I want you today to celebrate that you are a child of God. We need the world to know that God still has children living on this earth. They need to see us. They need to know how excited we are to be part of that family. And so today I ask you to celebrate it. If you haven't been celebrating it, today's the day, man, as, as we get ready to sing this song. It's a song of celebration today. If you're in here and you're saved, I would tell you to celebrate if you're in here today and you're lost and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and you don't have God as Father, today you need to come and you need to ask Jesus to save you and you need to be part of, be brought into the family of God. Brother Ken will be here, I'll be here in order to help you, to show you in the Word of God what it looks like to be saved, what the Bible says about salvation. And we would love nothing more today than for you to walk out of here part of the family of God. And I believe in here today there are some Christians, there are some children of God who know people who are still in the orphanage. You know people who are still out there and they're outcasts. They're enslaved to sin. Don't sit back and enjoy the blessings of God while they perish. I encourage you today and I challenge you today to come and get on your knees and say, God, help me, God, to bring them into the family. Let me be the light. Let me be the one that goes and rescues them. So in here today, celebration. In here today, appropriation. And in here today, go and tell somebody about Jesus Christ. I want to pray. I want us to stand, Brother Ken, and be here. They're going to sing. And I want to challenge you today. Hey, if you in here today are a believer, you stand and with bold proclamation declare that you are a child of God. Father, we come to you. God, we praise you today. God, we thank you today that you didn't just stop it at, at forgiving us. You didn't just stop it pardoning us. God, you wanted us to be part of your family. God, you called us to be part of your family. So today, God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that today, God, you've called so many people in this room. But God, maybe there's others in here who hasn't been saved. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And right now, God, in this moment will be their time. Father, we're going to praise you because you deserve to be praised. And God, we love you and we dedicate this moment to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.